Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am absolutely ready and ready to go and waiting to get started. All right, let's give it a whirl. (laughs) Okay, great. And I just want to say hello, everybody. Hello. And I want to shout out to a few people that I know are listening and are supporting the show. And uh, that's Kevin and Sydney. Hi, Kevin and Sydney. And also, I want to say hi to Jennifer and Audrey and Natalie. Hi. We're so glad that you're listening to the show. There's so many other but I'm going to just try to do like a few um, every episode, if that's okay with you, Chandler. Of course. Yes. Uh, welcome to everyone, whether uh, we know your names or not. Uh, we're uh, so happy that uh, you are all here with us. Uh, now, typically uh, our episodes focus on uh, a specific individual, uh, but I thought we'd do something a little different this time. Uh, we are going to cover um, a, a specific date or a range of dates where an event took place and see uh, what was going on in the stars and planets uh, during uh, this specific historical event. Um, so uh, I will give uh, that date range uh, to my mother. She will input that data into the back computer and tell us what she can of uh, what uh, the stars and planets were doing um, and what they may have contributed uh, during uh, this uh, very integral event in human history. Uh, so uh, without further ado, let's begin. Okay. Uh, so uh, this event, uh, it started... Uh, on October 16th. Uh, so uh, let us go with um, uh, uh, th- that date and we'll say uh, 8 o'clock in the morning. Okay. All right. And I think it's going to want us to get closer on... Uh, 
like a city or a village or something. Uh, then uh, let's go with Washington, D.C. Okay. All right. All this is going to do is kind of change the rising sign. The, all, the, all the things are still going to be the same. Okay. So clearly what we're looking at is um, the aspects of the whole world, right? Because everybody lives on the planet that uh, we're aware of. <laughs> and so in this situation, what you've done is by giving an eight o'clock uh, event time, uh, that puts the ascendant at zero degrees Scorpio. Interesting. So having this with the ascendant at zero degrees Scorpio and Neptune in Scorpio. Okay, let me go through the... Um, the planets. Okay, so we have Sun at 22 degrees Libra, Moon at 4 degrees Gemini, Mercury at 6 degrees Libra, Venus at 26 degrees Scorpio, Mars at 2 degrees Leo, Jupiter at 3 degrees Pisces, Saturn at 4 degrees Aquarius, Uranus at 3 degrees Virgo, Neptune at 12 degrees Scorpio, Pluto at 11 degrees Virgo, North Node at 5 degrees Leo, and Chiron at 6 degrees Pisces, with that zero degree Scorpio rising. Very, very, very interesting. Because at zero degrees, it's still going to come back up into the 12th house a little bit, right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's still going to have a little bit of Libra flavor to it, this, uh, this. Uh, rising sign. And so thinking about the rising sign and how it is perceived and how your first impressions are, then you would have this combination of mysterious um, beauty. It's very interesting. Uh some, I don't know how that applies to whatever this event is, but we have, uh, in general, at this particular time of day in Washington, D.C. And does that beauty have to do with the Libra or the Scorpio? The Libra. Well, I mean, Scorpios are also very mysterious. They're mysterious, right? Mm -hmm. So Scorpios are quite alluring and, and gorgeous, right? But the Libra rising is more... Um, let's say you had two girls and they were standing next to each other. All right. The Libra rising would be more the girl next door. Right. Mm -hmm. And the Scorpio rising would be more the Rita Hayworth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have Mary Tyler Moore and Rita Hayworth. Mm -hmm. Right. That's kind of, <laughs> I don't know who's listening that even knows who those people are, but I mean, I know, you know who they are, Chandler. Mm -hmm. So in that, with that in mind, however that applies to whatever you're dealing with, you have both. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like they're conjoined twins. So you're dealing with both of these aspects as far as how this but th those are, But there's a lot of different aspects to Libra and Scorpio. Like I would think of Libra, it's also about fairness, right? And justice. Absolutely. Yes. A fair, yes, because and, it's the and, scales. And Scorpio can be very fiery, right? 
Well, Scorpio can be... Scorpio is a water sign, but it is... A fiery is kind of... Scorpio is like... Like, you know how there's fire fire? Like, you build a fire with wood. And then there's hot, like hot sauce, right? Yeah. Scorpio is hot sauce fire. Okay. Okay? And not like a fire sign like... um like uh you know, any of the fire signs like Aries or Leo or Sagittarius, Scorpio is, it's going to sting you, right? Because mm-hmm. it's got the stinger. So in this situation, you have those two. When you look at this situation, you have both of those aspects. Okay. You have this could be really friendly, could be uh, really fair, mm-hmm. but at the same time could really sting you bad, right? Mm-hmm. Venom. Okay. So you have both of those. Then you have uh, Neptune in Scorpio, okay, which is not its natural place. Neptune's natural. I mean, uh, Neptune is normally, Neptune rules Pisces, right? But Neptune in Scorpio gives you uh, kind of an occult situation, whereas Neptune in Pisces would be more dreamy and uh illusionary uh which it also could be the dark side which could be drug abuse and and you know even insanity this could also have some insanity but it's more secrets and hidden things because it's in scorpio right so the illusion is not revealed okay and then we have venus at 26 degrees Scorpio in the first house. So we have sort of like triple Scorpio because we have Scorpio rising, Neptune and Venus. So this Venus in Scorpio can be sort of enticing, right? Uh, It could offer worldly things uh, or it could be about worldly things, material things. But more enticing things, like, not like if it was in tourists where you would just want food and, and blankets and, <laughs> you know, a good movie. Uh, in this situation, these, the, the stakes are higher, okay? The things that are wanted or the things that are even more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's enticing. You, they, you want this, okay? I don't know how else to describe it right Tantalizing. Now. Temptation. Yes, it's tempting. It's tantalizing. Yes, whatever this is has some aspect to that, okay? And then um, second house is ruled by uh, Sagittarius, but it is not... Actually, second house is still... Oh, we have an interception. I think we have an interception here. So first house at zero. No, that can't be right. It has to be Sagittarius because it would have gone all the way to 27 degrees. So second house is because this is full on zero to 29 for every house. There is no interception. So second house is Sagittarius. There is no planet in that house. Third house is Capricorn. And Saturn is there. Saturn at four degrees Aquarius. Hmm. So that's interesting because um, I'm just double checking. 
because maybe I do have a very slight, tiny interception here because of the Placidus houses. Uh, could you describe what an interception is? Um, when you work with the Placidus houses, they work on different degrees than Equal House. When you're working with Equal House, it goes from 0 to 29 in each house, period, right? Or that's actually full house. That's not a equal. It's kind of complicated, but let's say that this ascendant was 18 degrees uh, Scorpio, okay? And then we would go to 18 degrees Sag and 18 degrees Capricorn. That would be uh, equal houses. But full houses is when you go from 0 to 29 degrees, starting with your rising sign, and then let everything fall in there. And ancient times, that's how they did it. All right. But Placidus is a way to, I feel, and that's just my opinion, because there are tons of astrologers out there that do not agree with this. But when you have Placidus houses, you you can get more intricate with like, um, a, uh, uh, okay, a, a, an interception. And I think what I'm looking at is an interception here. So what we have here is like the second house. See how right here, this is zero degree Scorpio. Mm -hmm. And see how Scorpio goes to here? Just outside the first house. Uh -huh. Cusp. Meaning that this second house cusp is also Scorpio. Right. Okay. So we have Scorpio on the second house. So we have no Sagittarius or Gemini because it's going to be across the board. And I need to double check because I... Uh, have not been dealing with interceptions for a very long time, but um, we have two Scorpio and two Taurus houses removing the Sagittarius and the Gemini house cusps. So to describe so to those who are listening, it looks like the second house begins in Scorpio, goes all the way past Sagittarius, and then picks up at the Capricorn. next sign, Capricorn. Uh -huh, that's right. And uh, and then it does the same thing here. Meaning See? that Sagittarius would have less of an impact in what's going on in this chart than if it was a cusp had started or ended inside of it. Right. What you're dealing with is like double Scorpio, double Taurus. Okay. So that's giving you an extra dose of Scorpio and Taurus missing the Sagittarius Jupiter aspect. You know, so there's no house ruled by Jupiter and there's no you you're missing one of your Mercury houses, which is automatically going to put you in sort of a situation where communication is not as good as it could be. OK, and honesty might not be as good as it could be either. So there's that. Uh, since we do have the second house ruled by Scorpio, but there is no planet in there. We do have third house is ruled by Capricorn. OK. Um. But, uh, and we have, but we have Saturn, see how it ends, see how Capricorn ends right there. We have Saturn and Aquarius there in the third house. So, so the third Saturn, house cusp carries into Aquarius and Saturn is, uh, just on, on that cusp inside of Aquarius. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which is going to give this, this is your house of communications. It is ruled by Gemini. But in this situation, you have lessons to learn regarding humanity in, because it's Aquarius, right? So you have Saturn 
in Aquarius. So lessons about humanity, learning to deal with groups, uh, uh, unless you're dealing with full-on totalitarianism, like someone is trying to take over the world, like pink in the brain. And uh, But it is in Aquarius, so it's not in Capricorn. Um, and third house Capricorn, communications with Capricorn are, if, like, if you had Mercury in Capricorn, you're not necessarily a, a, a conversation initiator or a gabber, you know? People who have Mercury in Capricorn have very specific things to say, and they think about it and rehearse it in their minds sometimes before they speak it, you know? Uh, communication doesn't come as easy for them, and they want to be very precise with it. So it's not like a Gemini or a Virgo that can just, you know, go on and on and on just off the top of their head. People that have Mercury and Capricorn are more specific and precise. And in this situation, that would have to do with the communication in general of this chart being ruled by Capricorn and Saturn. Okay. So you have like a double Saturn here because you have Saturn in the third house and Capricorn, which is ruled by Saturn, ruling this third house, if that makes any sense to you. Okay. Then we have fourth house cusp is Aquarius. And in that house, we have uh, Jupiter and Chiron. Jupiter is in Pisces and Chiron is also in Pisces. So we have a situation with home, country, community. Um, mother, um, nurturing. Um, these things. Um the house is ruled by Aquarius, which should be kind of humanitarian, wanting to be humanitarian or trying to be humanitarian with Jupiter conjunct Chiron uh, by degree, because Jupiter's at three and Chiron is at six, Pisces. And these were running together for a couple of years there. And uh, that has to do i mean jupiter conjunct chiron in general is uh healing okay trying to heal trying to heal the country trying to heal the people trying to repair if they are following the wounded healer aspect of chiron which chiron is the healer okay um i was having a discussion about this uh, the other day because it's different than having North Node in like Cancer, because North Node in Cancer is that your direction is to nurture. That's different than healing. Chiron is to heal. And when Chiron is conjunct Jupiter, it is very much a need to heal. Something needs to be healed. And there's luck with that. There is this boost of energy with Jupiter healing. Okay, I don't know if that makes any sense because I don't know what we're talking about. Then fifth house is ruled by Pisces. There's nothing in that house. Sixth house is ruled by Aries, which means the work is the war or warlike things or fighting or passionate direction. It doesn't have to be fight. It's also very, you know, 
Aries, anything in Aries is going to be very straightforward and sexual. So there's that. But I I don't know what this event is. So we're going to go on. So um, then we get to seventh house cusp is Taurus. And there's nothing in that house. But the eighth house cusp is also Taurus because of the interception. But we have moon at four degrees Gemini there. So the moon is kind of displaced because this is this house is not ruled by Gemini. It's ruled by Taurus. So possibly the moon is going to take on more Taurus aspects because it doesn't have that home to go to. But moon in Gemini is a need to express communication about emotions. And it's in the eighth house, which is legacy and hidden things. And it's a very emotional, whatever this is. This is a, a I want to say like a, a hotbed of communication, but about maybe material things. Material, material aspect, maybe food. I don't know. It's something Taurian. Then we go to ninth house cusp is Cancer. And we have Mars at two degrees Leo in that ninth house. Ninth house is ruled by Jupiter and re represents um higher education, philosophies, dogma, um, travel, world travel. So there's clearly some kind of dramatic traveling with regards to the direction that this is going or um, maybe uh, the passion of this or I don't know. I mean, there's a lot going on here with this Mars in the ninth house in camp in Leo. Then North Node is in Leo conjunct this Mars. See how this is five degrees and this is two degrees. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the direction of this event has to do with career, government, um, definitely government, because it's tenth house. It's also uh, like fame and it's in Leo. So it's very dramatic, whatever this is. And we have North Node conjunct the Midhaven at five degrees in Leo. You see this? Mm -hmm. Okay. So somehow this has to do with, th this is very, uh, I want to say this is very famous. Whatever this is, it's very famous and it's very dramatic okay. and it's very showy. Whatever it is, it's it's a lot. This is a big deal. Um, then we have in the 10th house Uranus. Okay. And Uranus is at three degrees Virgo. Uranus does not like to be in Virgo because Virgo wants control and orderliness and Uranus is like a sparkler, okay? Only more like lightning bolts because it's, uh, you know, Uranus rules Aquarius. It's about free thinking and um, uh, the future and youth and groups of people who are mm, 
acting outside the norm and uh it's very um uh unconventional it's very unconventional but it's in virgo which means somehow this unconventional has to be tamed in some kind of way and it's generational right so because uranus takes a long time to get out of a planet and out of a sign because this is only three degrees so we still have at three degrees if you believe like i do which is a cusp then you've still got uranus also acting out in leo right so you have this dramatic huge showy look at me kind of energy going on there so right? and, and uranus you say takes a long time mm-hmm. and this is uh so it would be um here what, what sign is it uh, it's at three degrees Virgo, so, so it's so on the cusp of Virgo and Leo. You're, and we're, and this would involve youth and groups of people acting outside of the norm, and it would take years for it to get out of Virgo. Yeah, that's the 1960s. Basically, yeah, yeah. It's but it's in Virgo, right? Mm-hmm. When it was in Leo. Okay, that's different because when Uranus was in Leo, it was even worse, right? Mm. That was like really showy. This is a little more under control, but it's still on the cusp. So it's vacillating back and forth between this look at me huge energy and we've got to get this under control. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it's going back and forth between those two things. Then we have Pluto at 11 degrees Virgo. Okay, so Pluto is conjunct Uranus almost, I mean, by it definitely by sign, not quite by degree, but close enough. Well, by actually by degree, if you count 10 degrees, but if you only count five, then it's not. But, uh, and that's in the 11th house. So Pluto in Virgo, that's a lot of change in this situation with groups of people, organizing groups of people organizing um it's just because it's virgo so it's data uh figures um all kinds of calculations but having to do with groups of people large groups of people okay and then we have uh mercury in libra in the 11th house so somehow (laughs) in the middle of all of this which I find somewhat chaotic. It's like controlled chaos, maybe. I don't know. It seems kind of controlled chaos. It's this beautiful, you know, Mercury and Libra, which is love, you know, and telling groups of people that you love them and that you understand them. And so that's weird if this is some kind of war or whatever, but if it's, uh, this whole movement, you know, of peace, love, and rock and roll or whatever, then it fits really well into this. And then this particular chart has the sun in Libra at 22 degrees. So uh, also, this has a very, this whole chart having the sun in Libra gives it this kind of um, fair, uh I get you, I understand you, um, I see your point kind of thing in the 12th house, which is karma, 
So somehow, whatever this is, is karmic for the world. I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't know. Is any of this making any sense at all? Yeah. Okay. Well, good. That's good. Um, do you have any questions so far? Um, I, I think, uh, I, I think I, I want to go to the ending of this event. Have you read that and then see what the, um, and then ask some questions after that. Okay. Let me see if I can do that. So what day is that? Uh, that is the 29th of October. Okay. Okay. So. Ooh. All right. So it, it it's not going to change that much. You know what I mean? Because right. the planets just don't move that fast. Right. So uh, we still have Venus in the first house. We still have Neptune in the first house. But the sun is now transiting the sun and the moon are now in uh scorpio right sun no pardon me yeah the sun is now at five degrees scorpio and the moon is at 10 degrees this this got very (laughs) i don't know what event this is but this crazy because this got very um Okay, so do you see how all of this is in Scorpio now? Yes. Where it used to, this was in um, Gemini. Uh-huh. This, But you see how, that's how the moon works, okay. So Mars is now in the 10th house, okay. Uh, Uranus is still in the 10th house. Pluto is still in the 10th house. Really, the only thing that's really changed is... Uh, the North Node is now in the ninth house, ooh, which is giving it a more um philosophical kind of um interesting. Because what happened is Mars moved. Because the North Node goes this way, right? It goes counterclockwise. No, clockwise. Yeah. It goes clockwise and the other planets go counterclockwise. So, okay. So in this situation, Pluto is still the same. Uh, Pluto is still the same. Uranus is still the same. Mercury is now in the 12th house. So now we have karmic communications. All right. In Libra, which is still, you know, peace, love, whatever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, but we have all this Scorpio. I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking we're talking about some kind of peace, love, and rock and roll situation. But if we're not, and we're talking about more of a, uh, I don't know. The whole world went through this. Mm -hmm. So in this particular situation, I think this got more intense. It's seriously more intense, right? Super more intense with more of this love language because uh, it's, you know, it's it's Mercury in Libra, which is ruled by Venus. And maybe it's about mater- something as simple as material things, but it got very karmic with this. So it got very intense. Mars went into the 10th house and is still in Leo, 
okay? But it's further in now. It has less aspects of, ca of cancer, okay? So now it's more about the career being the direction, all right? Or I don't know if this is governmental, then this got a lot more showy and a lot less nurturing. You know what I mean? But the North Node, the direction of it got more nurturing, more, unless it got angry and crabby, but, uh, yeah. So there's that. Do you have questions about this? Is any of that making sense? Yes. So, uh, since we can sort of, uh, w with this chart, the way that it's done, we can see both of these at the same time. Uh -huh. Um, th there's really just two major things which you've sort of hit on a little bit already, but just to uh, really focus in on it. What is the state of communication at this time? Uh, be that uh, both among friends and among enemies. What is happening in regards to communication over these I'm going to say days? that the communication got way more intense. Like somehow as it started out more, you know, just, you know, everybody in all the groups are communicating, groups of people, it's in Libra, so it's, you know, uh kind of fair-minded and 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 and, you know, things like that. But it's a little more organized because it's only six degrees Libra, right? The original Libra is six degrees. Now we're at 18 degrees Libra in the 12th house. So now it's more karmic. It's like it has progressed. So, but it is still in Libra. So it's still, uh, if it's legal, okay, if it's, you know, like two-dimensional legal issues, then it's karmic legal issues. Like possibly this is dealing with conversations about legal things that are from a very long time ago. Okay. Whatever it is. And it, and, and it can also be about institutions because the 12th house can be about institutions like prisons or hospitals or orphanages or whatever kind of institutions. It's also about the world right? Because 12th house is about the world. So it could be any of those things, any of those aspects of Mercury, which is communications in Libra. Okay. But the, the world view of this is very Scorpio. All right. It has come to this much more intense view, you know, what, what is being seen or what it presents itself as. All right is very Scorpio. So that could be uh, darker, you know. But we have the sun at 5 degrees Scorpio, the moon at 10 degrees Scorpio, Neptune is now at 12 degrees Scorpio, and Venus is at 26 degrees Scorpio. So it... it... Okay, so Venus went retrograde. Uh, Venus went retrograde and Chiron went retrograde during this period. Okay, so that's why Venus is still at 26, see? Mm -hmm. Because it went retrograde, so it went stationary, mm -hmm. you see? It went stationary. So, uh, interesting. So Venus yeah. and Chiron almost went stationary. Went stood still during these 13 days. 
at some point, because Chiron... And Jupiter. And Jupiter. Interesting. So Chiron and Jupiter. But Jupiter had gone... Jupiter ha- has actually moved. Okay, see how uh, it's at two degrees now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So there is some, this is not going to be concluded. Whatever got initiated, uh, well, it was initiated during direct, right? Except for Chiron was already retrograde, okay? Chiron was already stationary to begin with, and mm-hmm. Jupiter was also stationary to begin with. Yeah. So they didn't change. They just stayed the same. Well, Jupiter right? does move. It does. Isn't that? Yeah, because Jupiter moved two degrees. But it was retrograde. So it went from three to two. See? Mm-hmm. And Venus went retrograde. But these were these were already retrograde. Jupiter and Chiron. So Jupiter and Chiron in Pisces coming in the natal chart, which was 13 days ago, would have Virgo aspects to them, which would be kind of more about communication and data and, and, and healing, but medically healing, as opposed to the Pisces healing, which is like spiritual healing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Do you have any other questions? Um, looking at, uh, these, uh, the change over time over these, uh, this event, um, what would you say the likelihood of conflict would be? I think this is somehow controlled chaos because I think this could absolutely this is either going to turn into kind of a powder, a powder keg, or it's going to be like a a a, a huge um, awakening of some kind. Uh, but I mean, all of this it it looks it looks very dark. Okay. With all this, all these planets at this point on the thirteenth day, with all these planets in Scorpio in the first house, it might look worse than it actually is. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. but it is very intense. It appears very intense. Well, um, having gone through this reading, uh, this is already an event that. Um, demands much more time than we could really give towards it but now i've come up with all sorts of other avenues of looking (laughs) at it uh that i think uh we may do in the future um uh okay uh at this time i would like to uh, do the summary of um everything that we found uh, so far Mm -hmm. about um, this time period, the 13 days from October 16th to October 29th, 1962. Um, first thing you said is that there's a mysterious beauty, that mm-hmm. there is a justice and venom. Uh, 
at the same time. Uh, that there uh, could be an occult situation, uh, secrets, hidden things, an illusion that is not revealed, uh, enticing uh, worldly things. Uh, the stakes are very high. There's a tantalizing temptation involved with what's going on. Uh, communication and honesty are not as good as they could be. Lessons to learn regarding humanity. A situation with home, country, community, mother, and nurturing. Uh, trying to be humanitarian. Trying to heal the country uh, and repair things. There is a luck uh, and fortune with this healing. Uh, the work is the war. Uh, the work is the fight. Uh, there is a need to express communication um, and... and there, this could be a hotbed of communication uh, about unnatural things. There's dramatic traveling. Uh, direction of event is uh, about career and government, uh, and it is very dramatic. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a, a very famous, very dramatic event. Uh, youth, groups of people acting outside the norm, uh, trying to get uh, under control. Uh, there's a lot of change with organizing groups of people. Uh, there's a communication about uh, data and figures and calculations. Uh, this whole time period is controlled chaos. Uh, telling groups of people about love. There's a communication about love during this time. Uh, mm -hmm. Fairness, understanding, and karma. Uh, this event is karmic for the world. Mm -hmm. uh, that was all of our findings for the 16th. Uh, then we saw uh, on October 29th, some things had changed. Most had remained the same. Um, there is karmic communication. Communication about peace and love. Uh, this situation mm -hmm. got a lot more intense over those 13 days. Uh, this is very karmic, very intense. Uh, the government is very showy. Uh, it, it has transitioned from uh, being uh, nurturing, possibly, to uh, being more showy and dramatic. Mm -hmm. uh, there's communication, and the communication is way more intense. Uh, Fair-minded, organized uh, is how it started. Now this communication has gone to more of a karmic uh, aspect. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. There's communication about the world. Uh, there's something about physical healing uh, and communication through data as a way uh, to heal. This whole situation was a powder keg uh, or a mm -hmm. huge awakening. Uh, it looked very dark, um, uh, but it possibly could look worse uh, than it actually was. Mm -hmm. uh, is uh, there anything that I've left out or anything you'd like to add about uh, what we found? No, it's really hard to add anything because I honestly have no idea what we're discussing right now. I mean, there's a few ideas going on in my head, but I don't know for sure what they are. And you also have to keep in mind that we have a detriment. If this actually did start at approximately 8 a.m., then we have that interception. So we're missing the aspects of Sagittarius and Gemini that might have somehow helped this situation. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it, things are what they are. I mean, the universe decides what's happening and, and we follow suit. So 
I will wait to hear what you have to say about those. Uh, would you like to know uh, what you've been looking at? Yes, I would. Uh, we have been looking at the astrological transits uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh, wow. That was one of my thoughts. I wasn't sure which thing we were dealing with, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot going on here that nobody knew. It was veiled. It was hidden, right? Mm -hmm. Secret things. Mm -hmm. So nobody knew for for sure what was really happening. Yeah. Uh, and it's very intense. It was, oof, yeah, that's a lot. Uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis is uh, the closest um, that we have ever come to full-scale thermonuclear war. Um, at any point during this, that if one person had made a, a false move, all human life on this planet could have been destroyed. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it is uh, uh, remarkable... Uh, that that didn't happen, but it has a lot to do with communication and um, what uh, people, uh, you know, changing minds of what the world is and all of that is, is what's going on during these 13 days. Uh, so we started this, uh, if we needed to have a, a time and date and place, um, I made the decision of placing it at the time that uh, President Kennedy found out that there were missiles in Cuba. That was around wow. 8 a.m. on October 16th of 1962. Um, there are a lot of things that led up to that moment, and I want to cover that um, briefly. Uh, so this is uh, the Cold War. Uh, so the United States and the Soviet Union are locked in a struggle, but uh, determined not to make this a full-on World War III, um, that they uh, are going to uh, swipe at each other through espionage, through all these other things. But because World War II ended with the United States detonating uh, two nuclear weapons on Japan, we are now in the nuclear age, and uh, the Soviets by 1949 had developed nuclear weapons weapons of their own, and by the 1950s, both sides had developed enough nuclear weapons to destroy all life on Earth. Uh, so mm -hmm. if anybody were to make a false move, were to start World War III, it would have a lot more disastrous consequences than any other war that had happened before. Um, mm -hmm. So both sides were, uh, uh, while there was lots of saber rattling, they did not want to actually pull that trigger because they knew the consequences. Uh, the United mm -hmm. States and the Soviet Union were locked in this struggle because of their ideologies. Uh, the United States was set up as a uh, democratic republic, uh, believing in free market capitalism, uh, and the Soviet Union uh, was a uh, communist uh, dictatorship. Um, mm -hmm. And with the explicit uh, goal of having uh, conquering the world, uh, that all countries should be under uh, communism. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, there were several things uh, going on in the world, uh, uh, leading up from the end of World War II to, uh, 1962, uh, where, um, the war became hot, but through proxies in Korea, uh, in Turkey and Greece. Um, but again, no Soviet, uh, versus United States 
all out uh, during the war. Uh, one of the major things going on in the world during this time involves Cuba. Um, up until 1959, uh, Cuba had been sort of a puppet state of the United States. It was a playground for uh, the uh, rich uh, people of America to go spend a weekend in Cuba um, ever since these Ever since the Spanish-American War, uh, the United States had uh, let its companies uh, run wild in Cuba, uh, taking up uh, uh, thousands of acres of land, affecting their entire economy, and um, not really distributing uh, the wealth of those companies to the common people of Cuba. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, holding up uh, dictators like Batista, who were um, uh, not very uh, receptive to their own people. Um, all of this led to a revolution in 1959, in which Fidel Castro uh, came into power. Uh, Castro, at first, was, he, he liked socialism, but he wasn't necessarily a, a big fan of the Soviet Union. Uh, he just wanted to uh, uh, really stick it to these American companies and the American government, which had been uh, prolonging uh, the uh, uh, pain of his people for so long uh, and he wanted to make sure that all of the companies were nationalized they were going to be owned by the cuban people no sugar plantation or uh, tobacco plantation was going to be owned by an american company anymore it was going to be owned by the cuban government um, mm -hmm. this, uh, uh, did not go very well with the United States. Um, the United <laughs> no. States liked having its companies being in charge of Cuba and certainly mm -hmm. didn't like that all of this was being taken away by, um, the Cuban government. Um, uh, the, uh, over, uh, the months, uh, Cuba uh, became increasingly uh, favorable towards the Soviet Union, even though the Soviet Union also didn't know exactly what Cuba was and what Fidel Castro believed in. Um, but it increasingly became clear that uh, the Soviet Union would love to have uh, an ally 90 miles away from the United States um, and mm -hmm. could really stick it to uh, the Americans by um, cultivating this relationship. Um, oh, yeah. We, we talked about uh, John F. Kennedy a little bit uh, early in, in our season one finale, so please go and listen to that. Um, and uh, his, during the election of 1960, um, Kennedy really uh, was a, a fierce cold warrior and believed, um, or maybe he didn't even believe it, but he thought that others would believe that we were losing the arms race, uh, that we were, uh, that the United States was producing less nuclear weapons than the Soviet Union. This was not true. And, uh, Kennedy knew that president Eisenhower told him such. Um, but he continued, uh, during the election to say that we were, and that was a reason why he should be elected president that under his leadership, the United States would produce even more nuclear weapons. At this time, the United States has well over 35,000 nuclear weapons. Um, that is well more than anybody would need to destroy all life on Earth. Um, yeah. The Soviet Union had uh, 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 about four or 500 nuclear weapons. That's also more than enough to destroy all life on Earth. Um, mm -hmm. But... 
uh, Kennedy was uh, going to be this fierce cold warrior. He uh, became president and started manufacturing even more nuclear weapons. Uh, he also started to place nuclear weapons uh, strategically among allies, uh, so in Italy and in Turkey. Uh, the missiles that were uh, established in Turkey, and some of that had to do before Kennedy got into office, um, but the ones that were put into Turkey, uh, it, it would take them eight minutes uh, to arrive at Moscow. Wow. Um, the Soviet Union didn't really like that, uh, that it would only take no. eight minutes for that to happen, especially since the, no. the Soviet Union uh, relied heavily on planes to deliver its nuclear payload, uh, where we were mm. relying much more on rockets. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, uh, Khrushchev decided uh, that it might be a good idea to put some missiles in Cuba, uh, just 90 miles off of the coast of the United States. Uh, this uh, was... Uh, 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 aggravated by the fact that four months into Kennedy's administration, uh, the United States backed a, a Cuban uh, a resistance plan uh, to try and get uh, Castro um, out of power in Cuba. Um, this was known as the Bay of Pigs invasion, in which uh, the CIA trained um, Cuban uh, rebels uh, to arrive in Cuba and try and overthrow Castro. Um, they dramatically uh, did not calculate um, the Cuban people's resistance to America uh, uh, putting its finger in its affairs, and mm -hmm. uh, the Bay of Pigs invasion was a massive failure. Uh, so this further convinced Khrushchev of what it would, that this would be a good idea to try and, uh, he really didn't care that much about Cuba, but to, to, uh, have this offensive, uh, line against the United States. Uh, on top of all this, Berlin is a huge part of it. Uh, during the summer of 1962, uh, Khrushchev puts the Berlin Wall uh, in effect uh, because Berlin had been separated between uh, the Allied powers uh, after World War II, uh, West Berlin uh, uh, belonging to the Free uh, Democratic um, Powers, uh, whereas East Berlin was... Um, in charge or was uh, uh, ruled by um, the East Germans and the Soviet Union. Uh, so this is a massive worldwide thing that's all going on, and all of these people are just uh, uh, moving their little chess pieces around. Um, mm -hmm. Khrushchev saw this uh, plan that he was going to try and get Berlin uh, completely under the control of the communists. And the way that he was going to do this was by uh, getting Cuba involved. So in the summer of 1962, uh, he starts sending a few hundred uh, nuclear missiles uh, to Cuba. Uh, now, Cuba at this time is not completely under control of Castro. There's still tons of rebels. Uh, there's still a fight going on there. Uh, Castro mm -hmm. at first tries to get these weapons to be put into the jungles of Cuba, where they would not be easily spotted. But in the jungles is where all the fighting is. So it would be very easy for a rebel force to take over these missile sites. Uh, Khrushchev and the Soviets decide that going to the beach would be better. Uh, that means that as these missiles start to be um, built and the sites cleared, uh, a plane can clearly fly over and spot these missiles uh, being uh, placed on the Cuban shore. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that's exactly what happened in October of 1962. Uh, on October 15th uh, is when uh, the first photos were taken. Uh, the Air Force flew a, a U-2 spy plane over Cuba, found uh, the missile sites. Uh, this was then taken in uh, to the Department of Defense for analyzation. And uh, at the night, uh, in the about midnight uh, on October 15th, these photos were shown to Secretary of Defense McNamara, and the decision was made not to tell the president about it until the next morning. On October 16th of 1962, at around 8 a.m., is when President Kennedy found out that there are now nuclear weapons 90 miles away from uh, American shore. Um, wow. He uh, then got together, uh, he, he convened uh, what is called the Executive Commun- uh, Committee, the Executive Committee of the National Security Council, to discuss their options. Number one option, along with uh, anything, is to just do nothing. Wait. Mm-hmm. See what happens. Uh, number two uh, was to invade Cuba and take these missiles out by force. Um, this uh, was heavily favored by the Defense Department because of the embarrassment of the Bay of Pigs. Go in there, teach these Cubans and communists a lesson about American uh, might and superiority, that we're not going to take this um, uh, lying down. We're not going to let you just aim your missiles at us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next was to negotiate with Khrushchev to uh, send an emissary to go through diplomatic channels to see if Khrushchev would be receptive to taking the missiles outside of Cuba. What would he want in return? Uh, that that was that plan. Uh, another was to try and uh, negotiate with Castro, to try and pull Castro away from Khrushchev. Uh, see if there is any sort of money, anything that we could give Castro to pull him away uh, from the Soviets. Uh, this was looked at as the least viable option. Uh, another option was to lead an airstrike. Instead of sending uh, troops over to take these missiles out, um, send airplanes over, bomb the heck out of these missile sites, leave it at that. Um, and then the last option was to put in a naval blockade. Uh, the Americans at this time thought that, um, these weapons were not fully functional and that more supplies were needed to make these weapons functional. This was actually drastically wrong. There were dozens of nuclear weapons ready to go and fire. Um, but they believed mm-hmm. that more supplies were needed and more supplies were coming. More warheads were coming towards Cuba. And so mm-hmm. the idea was to put a naval blockade outside of Cuban shores to make sure that those Soviet ships could not come in to Cuba. Um, and uh, so uh, that is where we were left on October 16th. What was the president going to do? Um, on October 18th, there was already a scheduled meeting with the Soviet ambassador, um, Andre uh, Garnikio. Um, or Garnik, yeah, I don't know, it's a Russian name, I don't know. They all play together. <laughs> Sorry to any Russian visitors or view, uh, listeners. Um, he tried to play this cat and mouse game with the Soviet uh, ambassador uh, to try and get him to admit that there were weapons in Cuba, and he, the, the Soviet ambassador was having none of it. He played it stone cold. He either did not know, which is very possible that he did not know that these missiles were in Cuba, or if he did, he gave no um, uh, 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 sign that they are in Cuba and ready to go. Uh, this made Kennedy v- very frustrated. 
Um, then uh, on October 22nd, uh, John F. Kennedy decides what he's going to do. He's going to go against what his defense, um, uh, uh, what the uh, Department of Defense is telling him to do, because they want to go in, get uh, hundreds of thousands of boys, launch them from Florida, get into Cuba, take those missiles out and overthrow Castro at the same time. Kennedy decides that that's not the best thing to do. What the best thing to do at this time is to trigger negotiations through a naval blockade. So he sends the Navy out uh, into uh, the water surrounding Cuba. And if any Soviet ships uh, carrying nuclear cargo uh, were to approach that line, uh, they would not get through that line. No more nuclear material could get into Cuba. Uh, now, hmm. this a blockade is, by the rules of the United Nations, um, a, a war. Uh, you are, uh, because there's only one way to enforce a blockade, and that is to actually fire upon ships. Um, this hmm. was something that uh, the Department of Defense did not take into account. Um, later on that day, when uh, Secretary of Defense McNamara goes to uh, the naval commander saying, so how are you going to actually stop the ship? Well, they say, first we fire a shot over the bow. If they don't stop, then we start firing more um, to try and disable them. Uh, also, but before we start firing, uh, we, uh, we, we try and hail them. And he said, well, are you going to hail them uh, in Russian? No, we don't have anybody on the ship who speaks Russian. <laughs> We're going to try and hail them in English. Uh, and then we start firing. Uh, so uh, this in itself, if those Soviet ships had crossed that line, could have struck out and started World War III. Um, in the evening of uh, October uh, 22nd, uh, he tells uh, uh, the American people, uh, John F. Kennedy goes um, uh, on television and informs them of uh, that there are missiles pointed strategically, that these missiles can reach anyone from New York City to Los Angeles um, within a matter of minutes. Um, this uh, sparks a massive panic in the United States. Um, if you yeah. know anyone who is alive at this time who uh, can remember what was going on, grocery store shelves were empty. Uh, people were buying uh, as much food as they could, canned goods. Those who had a bunker underneath uh, the ground would go there. Um, those mm -hmm. uh, who did not uh, just prayed that if war started, they would be hit first um, because mm -hmm. uh, uh, within a matter of seconds, every molecule in your body would be vaporized and you wouldn't know mm -hmm. the difference. Um, complete and utter fear that the end of the world was coming. Um, at any moment, uh, you listen to what uh, the the leaders on both sides were thinking. Um, they thought that every time they saw the sunset, it would be the last sunset that they would ever see. Mm -hmm. um, on October 25th, uh, the defense uh, uh, was, uh, our alertness uh, was raised to DEFCON 2. That is uh, the last level before all-out nuclear war. That means that within 15 minutes, uh, fighters can be scrambled uh, to protect bombers as they go and drop nuclear payloads into the Soviet Union. Um, the, uh, 
some of these Russian ships uh, start coming towards the blockade line. Uh, the United States lets the ones in that are civilian ships. There's a cruise uh, that is coming through uh, from East Germany. Uh, and uh, there's actually a film of these uh, East German cruise goers uh, that was taken as they go through the blockade line, not knowing if they were going to be fired upon or not. Oh, um, but they were not warships, so they were not uh, uh, stopped and they could go through. Um, the Soviet leadership is telling uh, their commanders at this time, do not fire, uh, do not uh, uh, engage. Uh, and eventually, as the ones carrying nuclear payloads start coming towards the line, they stop. Uh, some of them even start to turn around and go back. Uh, during this time, there are submarines uh, 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 with nuclear payloads that are sent to protect these ships. They are deep underneath uh, the the water uh, with no communication with Russia. Um, so uh, that is going to come into play a little farther uh, into the crisis. Um, on October 26th, uh, the United States is completely prepared to invade Cuba. Uh, hundreds of mm. thousands uh, of uh, U.S. Army personnel are, are sent to Florida, uh, ready uh, to get onto boats and invade Cuba, take out these missiles, and take out Castro. Um, there are, uh, are starting uh, more flights, uh, more of these spy flights are sent uh, over Cuban airspace to see uh, what is the state of these uh, missiles. Are they continuing to work on the missiles to make them active? Um, what does the Cuban uh, defense system look like? These flights are starting to go over. Uh, at 6 o'clock in the evening on October 26 of 1962, um, there is a letter uh, that is sent uh, to uh, John F. Kennedy um, that is sent from Premier Khrushchev, uh, so the leader mm -hmm. of the Soviet Union. Uh, at this time, it takes 12 hours for a message from Premier Khrushchev to get to President Kennedy. Um, wow. During this uh, letter, uh, he says, uh, Mr. President... We and you ought not to pull on the ends of the rope in which you have tied the knot of war, because the more the two of us pull, the tighter that knot will be tied, and a moment may come when that knot will be tied so tight that even he who tied it will not have the strength to untie it, and then mm -hmm. it will be necessary to cut that knot. And what that would mean is not for me to explain to you, because you yourself understand perfectly of what terrible forces our countries dispose. Um, to the Kennedy administration, this seemed a very emotional letter. Um, this is not the typical um, letter of the saber-rattling Khrushchev. Uh, this is the man who stood uh, or sat uh, during, uh, 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 I mean, one of his most famous quotes is him uh, uh, taking his shoe off and beating on the table uh, saying, we will bury you. Um, oh. Now we see this other side of Khrushchev that he doesn't really want this war. Um, mm -hmm. Kennedy also does not want this war, but what both men are starting to realize is that both of their military do want this war. Uh, and, and just to put it into the context of, of, of the time that, you know, both of these, uh, huge, uh, I mean, the largest militaries on the face of the earth, every day of their life has been spent preparing for this moment and what the mm -hmm. next thing is going to be and how do you fight World War III and win? Um, mm -hmm. 
And now this is the chance to do that. It's like if you are uh, on a football team and you go to practice and you go every day and you have the best arm, the best quarterback, you know exactly what to do with all these things, but no one ever tells you that we're not going to play a game. Where now you're now you're gonna fight the other guy. You're gonna and so now this is the time we can actually have this game. This is how dangerous our mind uh, uh, process was on both sides during this time. That th- mm-hmm. that they're not really contemplating the end of all life on Earth, which is very close to happening. Um. The uh, at the same time, uh, Khrushchev sends with this letter. He sends the demand saying, uh, "We will remove the missiles from Cuba if the United States promises never to invade Cuba." Mm-hmm. The next day, uh, Khrushchev makes a public statement, and in that public statement, he says something that is not in the previous letter. He says that he will remove the missiles from Cuba if the United States promises not to invade Cuba, and if the United States removes the missiles which are pointed at Moscow that are in Turkey. Mm -hmm. This was something that was not in the diplomatic channels. Uh, So uh, there's actually tapes uh, that you can hear of Kennedy in the deliberation process where they find out that Khrushchev made this public statement. They're saying, this was not given to us. This was not mm-hmm. given to the State Department. Uh, this was just given to the public. Uh, mm-hmm. How do we know what promise we're supposed to be uh, agreeing to here if he keeps changing mm-hmm. the game? Um, then uh, uh, on October 27th, there is uh, the uh, more U-2 um, jets uh, start going out. There's one U-2 jet that is uh, going over the North Pole. There had recently been some nuclear tests the United States was doing over the North Pole, and it was surveying damage. At this time, there's no uh, you can't use radar over the North Pole because of the magnetic pole. Um, so mm-hmm. they are navigating by the stars. And uh, there is uh, 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 the northern lights become uh, uh, very disruptive. And this um, U-2 fighter jet finds itself uh, well over Soviet airspace. Uh, The Soviets discover this and they start to scramble jets, believing that this is the first sign of World War III. There's now an American jet uh, invading the Soviet Union. A United States uh, starts scrambling jets to go protect that U-2 fighter. Eventually, it is cleared, and that uh, U-2 plane is allowed to go back into American airspace safely. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there's another U-2 jet that is flying over Cuban airspace. It uh, is taking pictures of defenses. By this time, Castro is in full-on paranoia. He knows Mm -hmm. there are hundreds of thousands of troops waiting to invade and depose him. He gives Mm -hmm. the order to Cuban uh, anti-aircraft guns to shoot down any American plane you see. Um, Mm -hmm. And the Soviet commanders go along with that, even though Khrushchev had told them specifically not to fire upon any American plane. Mm -hmm. This uh, U-2 plane commanded by uh, Rudolf Anderson is shot down, and Anderson is killed over Cuba. Mm -hmm. He is the only... Luckily, uh, or uh, unfortunately, but also luckily, the only uh, person killed during this whole uh, event. Um, But he Mm -hmm. is killed over uh, Cuban airspace. Now, Khrushchev realizes that he's given uh, hundreds of nuclear weapons to Fidel Castro, who (laughs) is a madman. 
mm-hmm. and that he does not have control over his own military. Mm-hmm. The Americans also realize how close they are to this American military might just being unleashed without the president's say so. Uh, mm-hmm. And and how close they all really are to Armageddon. Uh, on October 28th, uh, the committee uh, uh, meets again with President Kennedy. The Defense Department is all in. They want to go. They want to fight now. We've now got a boy mm-hmm. who's been killed over Cuban missile, uh, uh, over mm-hmm. those missiles in Cuba. We're going to go in. We're going to wipe those missiles and Fidel Castro off the face of the earth. Everyone knows what would happen if that were to happen, the Soviet Union would invade Germany, or it would invade Turkey, it would take out missiles elsewhere, World War III would begin. They also oh, yeah. do not know that the Soviet Union do- doesn't just have missiles, but they have tactical nuclear weapons, meaning weapons that are meant to be used against troops and soldiers. Mm-hmm. So those hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of U.S. boys that would go into Cuba would be fired upon by nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, also on October 28th, uh, we get back to the submarines. Uh, the Russians have uh, sent uh, the Russian submarines to protect uh, these uh, Russian boats that are coming into Cuba. They have had radio silence with Moscow, but they're starting to hear American radio. And the American radio is saying, it's Armageddon. We're getting closer. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Everything is coming down to this. Uh, the uh, United States starts sending down depth charges uh, to try and raise these submarines uh, from the bottom of the ocean. When mm-hmm. you're down, uh, you know, thousands of feet underwater and you start hearing explosions go off, you can't tell necessarily if those are depth charges, which cannot actually harm you, or if this is the beginning of World War III. Those uh, submarines are armed with nuclear torpedoes. Uh, there, uh, it takes uh, the three commanding officers all to be in unanimous agreement to operate the nuclear weapons. Uh, there is one a B-59 sub uh, in which uh, they believe that World War III has begun. Two of the commanders agree that we need to arm the nuclear torpedoes and fire at the Americans. There is only one man, one of the commanders, who says no, that we are not going to fire the nuclear weapon. His name is Vasily Arkhipov. Mm -hmm. It is because of his decision alone that all-out nuclear war did not begin. Wow. Uh, The submarine was raised, and then they found out that those were just depth charges to try and raise them up, and that uh, we were not in full-scale war at that time. Uh. By the next day, October 29th, a deal had been agreed to um, where uh, the United States would uh, remove, uh, well, it would promise not to invade Cuba unless Cuba uh, started things first and that the weapons that were in Turkey would be removed, uh, but that the weapons uh, that were in Turkey, that removal would not be disclosed to the American public and that it would happen within five months. Uh, mm-hmm. The Russians agreed to this deal, and they started removing the missiles in Cuba. Castro was furious that Khrushchev <laughs> had agreed to all this. Castro had sent a letter to Khrushchev the, the day before saying, we need to launch the weapons now. We need to wipe mm-hmm. America off the face of the earth. 
both mm-hmm. Castro and Che Guevara were upset that all-out nuclear war had not begun. This was the time. This was how they were going to overthrow the Americans and teach them a lesson. And this is how we were going oh, to get the glorious socialist revolution. Even if all uh, uh, humanity was wiped off the face of the planet, at least they would know what they were uh, uh, dealing with. Uh, Castro, when he heard of this deal, he... Uh, completely trashed his office. He was so furious that he was not consulted about the removal of these missiles. Mm. Uh, but uh, the the missiles were removed by uh, November of uh, 1962. Uh, the crisis had been completely uh, uh, avoided, uh, and we uh, went back to DEFCON 4, and uh, this whole uh, 13-day struggle uh, was put behind us. Um, a result of this is that communication did improve. Um, a, a specific telex machine was installed between Moscow and Washington, D.C., so that messages could almost instantly be transmitted mm-hmm. between Moscow. It would no longer take uh, 12 hours to get a letter uh, so that these mm-hmm. people could talk to each other. Um so and there was a a slight relaxation of tensions um though uh, this is still uh, going to continue on uh, through uh, uh the uh, rest of the 1960s this this brinksmanship idea uh between uh, these two major powers um the cuban missile crisis uh, it, it cannot be stated enough how close we got to humanity being wiped off the face of the earth um and uh, uh i think that everything that we've looked at here bears that out um very dramatic a uh, very intense uh, karma um uh, all of these things are, are things that played out during these 13 days wow that's pretty amazing yeah um there's a lot that as you said we can go back and look at further into detail um this drama this this leader drama is what it is Mm -hmm. right because when you're talking about these leaders and their behaviors you know these men um and how out of control, right? Mm-hmm. Like that North Node and Uranus in Leo. Uh, actually, the Uranus is in Virgo, but it's still Uranus. Okay, we have North Node. Oh, it's that's oh, it's a lot. There is a lot going on at that time, and. Uh, we can go further into this. We can look at the other charts of the other people, the other leaders, right? right? And see how that affected them as well. But um, I'm glad that I could bring some insight from my side to you, Chandler. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you, you talked about um, the communications about love and, and all of that. And at first it may mm-hmm. not seem that evident, but you listen to the stories of this time period. You know, I, I in doing research, I heard the Cuban 
response. People would come in from the country and go to the cities so that they could all be with their families together. Because if the world was going to end, they were going to be with their loved ones. That happened in the United States. It happened in Russia. It happened all around the world. All of these people got together with their families and their loved ones so that they could handle whatever they could handle together so while this is all of those things of of chaos and controlled chaos um that that speaking and communication of love is also there too Mm -hmm. and and some nurturing as well Mm -hmm. um i'm really thinking you know there's a lot of aspects in this that um show up in individual people making the right decision Mm -hmm not to fire this and not to do that. You know what I mean? Uh, Luckily, those people were in play. Mm -hmm. And uh, it wasn't just the big, powerful men who were running the show. These people that uh, I would imagine most people will never know their names are the ones that were the most important in the whole situation. Right. That's amazing. Right. I mean, uh, Vasily Arkhipov um, was unknown uh, until uh, uh-huh. 2002. We did not know what mm-hmm. role he played in all of this. Um, mm-hmm. Only after the collapse of the Soviet Union and then years of going through old records was it found that, um, you know, in that one submarine, two of the commanders were all for it. And it was up to him to say no and to hold mm-hmm. off. Um, and that is something that play that probably played out in many more instances that we just don't even know of. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And uh, this, of course, is not my area of expertise, Chandler. <laughs> um, this is your area of expertise. So when I ask you, am I close or whatever, and you tell me I am, then it's pretty remarkable to me that I'm just reading what I'm seeing. I mean, it's not like it isn't there for anyone who is an astrologer to be able to read it and see it. So Mm -hmm. it's very interesting that it's right there, you know? Well, I think uh, on our scale of right on the money to way out in outer space, uh, this one is is right on the money. This is uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of what's going on at this time. Um, and, uh, uh, luck and, and it, it shows up in the star, you know, it's very dark, but it might even be a, a, a little less dark than reality. Cause, cause, mm-hmm. it, uh, uh, it didn't happen. It was avoided. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were all mm-hmm. went through this, the whole global community went through this fear of, of nuclear Armageddon, but it didn't happen. The cooler heads right. prevailed. And I think all of that, uh, shows up, uh, in the chart. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really that is really remarkable. Uh, is there uh, anything else uh, about the chart uh, that uh, makes more sense to you now that you know uh, what all is going on here? Oh yeah, absolutely. But I also uh, see a lot of information, you know, regarding this in Kennedy's chart and his transits, you know, and then just the regular transits of the original chart. You know, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of information here that could be even, you know, we could just go deeper and deeper into it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, there's definitely opportunities to uh, do that in the future. I mean, 
Uh, there, there, there needs to be a reading on Fidel Castro's chart and see what all's going on in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, that concludes this episode of History in Retrograde. I'd like to thank you all so much uh, for listening. Uh, if you would like to uh, support the show, we have all of the links to our social media accounts posted in the uh, description of the show. Uh, we also have a link there to our PayPal account. Uh, every little bit helps us in uh, creating a better quality show and spreading the word uh, of our show to more people. Uh, and if you would like to be uh, your own Mystery History guest... Uh, we have uh, an opportunity for you uh, provided in the uh, links in the uh, uh, show. Uh, you please uh, just email uh, Chandler's mom at historyandretrograde.com and uh, mom uh, can get over with you and uh, go over the details of how uh, you can have uh, your uh, chart read or maybe even have a chart uh, read between you and that special someone. Um, and uh, yeah, so mom, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Yes, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. And I love getting information from you. And again, if you have sent me an email, I'm getting to them as quickly as I can. There seems to be a lot of people who are interested in having their charts done. And I'm having a wonderful time doing it. And uh, I just want to say thank you. And we're very happy you're there. Really, really happy that you're there listening. Thank you so much. Yes, uh, thank you all uh, so very much for all of your uh, uh, listens and your downloads and your support. And uh, as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything will be just fine. We love you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.